Section 27 of The Colonel's Dream. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White. The Colonel's Dream by Charles Chestnut. Section 27, Chapter 27. His first step was to have Caxton look up and abstract for him the criminal laws of the state. They were bad enough in all conscience. Men could be tried without jury and condemned to infamous punishments involving stripes and chains for misdemeanors which in more enlightened states were punished with a small fine or brief detention. There were, for instance, no degrees of larceny, and the heaviest punishment might be inflicted, at the discretion of the judge, for the least offense. The vagrancy law, of which the colonel had had some experience, was an open bid for injustice and graft, and clearly designed to profit the strong at the expense of the weak. The crop lien laws were little more than the instruments of organized robbery. To these laws the colonel called the attention of some of his neighbors, with whom he was on terms of intimacy. The enlightened few had scarcely known of their existence, and quite agreed that the laws were harsh and ought to be changed. But when the colonel, pursuing his inquiry, undertook to investigate the operation of these laws, he found an appalling condition. The statutes were mild and beneficent compared with the results obtained under cover of them. Caxton spent several weeks about the state looking up the criminal records and following up the sentences inflicted, working not merely for his fee but sharing the colonel's indignation at the state of things unearthed. Convict labor was contracted out to private parties, with little or no effective state supervision, on terms which, though exceedingly profitable to the state, were disastrous to free competitive labor. More than one lawmaker besides Fetters was numbered among these contractors. Leaving the realm of crime, they found that on hundreds of farms, ignorant negroes and sometimes poor whites were held in bondage under claims of debt or under contracts of exclusive employment for long terms of years, contracts extorted from ignorance by craft, aided by the state laws which made it a misdemeanor to employ such persons elsewhere. Freemen were worked side by side with convicts from the penitentiary, and women and children herded with the most depraved criminals, thus breeding a criminal class to prey upon the state. In the case of Fetters alone, the colonel found a dozen instances where the law, bad as it was, had not been sufficient for Fetters' purpose, but had been plainly violated. Caxton discovered a discharged guard of Fetters, who told him of many things that had taken place at Sycamore, and brought another guard one evening, at that time employed there, who told him, among other things, that Bud Johnson's life, owing to his surliness and rebellious conduct, and some spite which Haynes seemed to bear against him, was simply a hell on earth, that even a strong negro could not stand it indefinitely. A case was made up and submitted to the grand jury. Witnesses were summoned at the colonel's instance. At the last moment they all weakened, even the discharged guard, and their testimony was not sufficient to justify an indictment. The colonel then sued out a writ of habeas corpus for the body of Bud Johnson, and it was heard before the common pleas court at Clarendon, with public opinion divided between the colonel and Fetters. The court held that under his contract, for which he had paid the consideration, Fetters was entitled to Johnson's services. 
the colonel defeated but still undismayed ordered caxton to prepare a memorial for presentation to the federal authorities calling their attention to the fact that peonage a crime under the federal statutes was being flagrantly practiced in the state this allegation was supported by a voluminous brief giving names and dates and particular instances of barbarity the colonel was not without some quiet support in this movement there were several public-spirited men in the county including his able lieutenant caxton dr price and old general thornton none of whom were under any obligation to fetters and who all acknowledged that something ought to be done to purge the state of a great disgrace there was another party of course which deprecated any scandal which would involve the good name of the state or reflect upon the south and who insisted that in time these things would pass away and there would be no trace of them in future generations but the colonel insisted that so also would the victims of the system pass away who being already in existence were certainly entitled to as much consideration as generations yet unborn it was hardly fair to sacrifice them to a mere punctilio the colonel had reached the conviction that the regenerative forces of education and enlightenment in order to have any effect in his generation must be reinforced by some positive legislative or executive action or else the untrammeled forces of graft and greed would override them and he was human enough at this stage of his career to wish to see the result of his labors or at least a promise of result the colonel's papers were forwarded to the proper place whence they were referred from official to official and from department to department that it might take some time to set in motion the machinery necessary to reach the evil the colonel knew very well and hence was not impatient at any reasonable delay had he known that his presentation had created a sensation in the highest quarter but that owing to the exigencies of national politics it was not deemed wise at that time to do anything which seemed like an invasion of state rights or savored of sectionalism he might not have been so serenely confident of the outcome nor had fetters known as much would he have done one thing which encouraged the colonel more than anything else caxton received a message one day from judge bullard representing fetters in which fetters made the offer that if colonel french would stop his agitation on the labor laws and withdraw any papers he had filed and promised to drop the whole matter he would release bud johnson the colonel did not hesitate a moment he had gone into this fight for johnson or rather to please miss laura he had risen now to higher game nothing less than the system would satisfy him but colonel said caxton it's pretty hard on the nigger they'll kill him before his time's up if you'll give me a free hand i'll get him anyway how perhaps it's just as well you shouldn't know but i have friends at sycamore you wouldn't break the law asked the colonel fetters is breaking the law replied caxton he's holding johnson for debt and whether that is lawful or not he certainly has no right to kill him you're right replied the colonel get johnson away i don't care how the end justifies the means that's an argument that goes down here get him away and send him a long way off and he can write for his wife to join him his escape need not interfere with our other plans we have plenty of other cases against fetters 
Within a week, Johnson, with the connivance of a bribed guard, a poor white man from Clarendon, had escaped from Fetters and seemingly vanished from Beaver County. Fetters' lieutenants were active in their search for him, but sought in vain. End of section 27. Recording by James K. White. Chula Vista.